As I think hopefully more of you are getting to know, I've been around for a few months now. I'm Christopher Mack. I'm pastor of community and teaching, and it's my joy to get to uh, introduce Lori Raymond to you today. She's going to be sharing with us during our homily time a message on her heart that uh, is just overflowing with the significance of what it looks like to immerse ourselves in God's love and how that can then transform us to be people who act in the world in ways of justice. And we are excited to hear from Lori. I asked her earlier today, I said, when did you actually get to Austin, right? You know, the perennial question that we all are trying to outdo one another with. And normally as someone who was born here in 1982, right, I'm normally happy about Lori's. Oh, I got here in the 70s when I came here for university. So, and Lori, unlike me, has never left. So uh, Lori just really loved the vibe of what Austin is and the energy and has enjoyed uh, being a part of that and has been with us at Vox now for over a year or around a year, I think. And uh, we're excited to have you share with us. If everybody would give Lori a, round, a warm welcome as she comes to share. Thank you, Christopher. And I just want to take this opportunity to thank God for a place like Vox that is so accepting, so diverse. Um, it's been a wonderful place for my husband, Tom, and my mom, Norma and I to land, and we love worshiping with you, so thank you. So I'd like to talk to you today about the transforming power of a contemplative life. And though I've studied the works of many Christian contemplatives, some of whom I'll reference today, everything I say is from my experience on the contemplative path. So in my experience... Contemplative spirituality generally has two complementary components, active receptivity and receptive action. As Jesus showed us, we set aside time for communion with the source of our being, and then we move out into the world to share what we've been given. And the two practices that Spirit brought to me that represented active receptivity and receptive action our centering prayer and inner work. What do I mean by active receptivity? Well, basically, it's intentionally making space and time to get in touch with the divine. God is everywhere and in everything, of course. But we humans have a design feature that gives us a path of access, a portal, if you will, that connects us to our source. 27 years ago, more or less, I learned centering prayer, a simple receptive practice in which for a few minutes each day we sit in silence and open our minds, hearts, and bodies to the healing presence and action of divine love. Before that, I had always wondered about the scripture passage that says we're to love God with all our hearts and all our minds and all our strength. I had always wondered how. Bernadette Roberts, former Carmelite nun and Christian contemplative and author of The Path to No Self, said she didn't know how to love God like that either that she didn't feel love for God in a sentimental way. Then she got that love for God is will to God. 
It's using our free will, our intention, and our attention to make God the center of our lives. It's turning and returning and turning once again our faces toward God. It is devotion. And this is what we're doing when we practice centering prayer, which was brought to us by Father Thomas Keating and others. We allow thoughts to come and go without grasping at them. And when we discover we're engaged with any thought, we return ever so gently to our sacred word as a gesture toward God. Some of the many things Father Keating said about God and us God is always present. We're the ones who are absent. Silence is not the absence of noise, but the absence of resistance to God. And the yearning you feel for God is actually God's yearning for you. It is God's invitation to an incredible intimacy and tenderness. So let's talk about that resistance to God. You might say, well, I don't, I don't have any resistance to God. Yes, intellectually, but if we're really honest with ourselves, we see that our bodies are carrying resistance to darn near everything and everybody. I, like one out of every six American women, am a survivor of rape or attempted rape. I, like pretty much 100% of women, have endured harassment, belittling, unwanted attention, unequal treatment just by virtue of walking around in this body. And of course, this isn't limited to women. Many of us have suffered abuse and neglect in our childhoods. Father Keating shared that researchers say that 99.9% of us come from dysfunctional families. And then he would say, with a twinkle in his eye, personally, I've never met any of the one-tenth of one percent. So yes, understandably, we're guarded, defended, and maybe even resistant There are coping mechanisms that have been built up over time to protect us. Through the practice of centering prayer, we're consenting just for a few minutes to open our being, to relax our defenses, to become less guarded. Gradually, over time, our nervous systems begin to relax. And God begins to be revealed to us as love itself. I think that Father Keating's greatest gift was his ability to talk about God's great and tender love for each one of us individually. He called it extravagant love. We can't even begin to imagine how much God loves us. Twelve years ago... Tom and I said yes to fostering a little long-haired chihuahua named Perry. We agreed to take him into our home, and if we felt it was a good match, we would keep him. After a day or two, we were really questioning whether he was the dog for us. Perhaps he had been abused 
Or maybe he was unintentionally kicked a few times because he does have a way of running underfoot. But whatever the reason, he was, and still is sometimes, jumpy. When we got him, he would only let me touch him or get near to him. We felt like this was unworkable. Every day we talked about his problems and how he might not be a good match for us. We needed to be able to share the care of him, and Tom needed to be able to enjoy his affection too. But then we decided to stop talking about it every day. We decided to fully commit to him for a month, and then we would decide. So Tom set about trying to win his trust. So every day, twice a day, I watched Tom get on the floor, holding the leash, and scooch toward Perry. And then Perry would get low and scooch a little bit toward Tom. And it would be scooch, scooch, scooch. And then finally, he would get close enough to allow Tom to touch him so that he could take him for a walk. This is how God loves us. God is patient. God knows and understands our guardedness, and God bends low to meet us just where we are. As God's beloved creation, God is fully committed to us. And as we commit to consent to God's transforming presence, our relationship with God deepens and we begin to experience and recognize God's love for us in the very unfolding of our lives. Of course, we ended up keeping Perry and he's still with us. So I wanted to show you a slide of a few of the methods and tools You could call them spiritual technologies that I've found useful in cultivating active receptivity. Centering prayer, which I just spoke about. We take time daily to open to a deeper relationship to God. Anna Vu Wallace and David Wallace have led three or four classes here at Vox, and I know they'll be leading more. Lectio Divina. This is a practice to meditatively take in a scripture passage. When we allow the words to float in spaciousness and silence within, they begin to light up with particular meaning just for us right now. Vox offers Alexio Divina service on Zoom on Sunday mornings at 8.30. The welcoming prayer. This is a prayer of surrender on the go a body prayer, whereby we welcome God's presence in our bodily sensations that arise from troubling thoughts and emotions. With God, we sink into what we often avoid and resist, and it allows it to move and be released. The forgiveness prayer. Forgiveness is foundational in our faith, but few of us have been given any clues as to how this comes about. This prayer, which is also a practice and a process, teaches us to receive the miracle of forgiveness for ourselves, for others, for the world, 
and for God. Of course, there are many, many ways to cultivate active receptivity in our lives, and these are just some of the ways that have been profoundly transformational for me. Receptive action, what is that? So the second component of a contemplative life is receptive action. How can we fully engage our lives and relationships with that open-hearted, expanded understanding of who we truly are? How do we love our neighbors as ourselves? How do we love ourselves? How can we live the gospel? God created us with free will. God created us with the possibility of evolving. We're self-developing beings, but our patterns, our coping mechanisms, our addictive reactions are hindering our evolution. They're getting in the way of our true agency in the world. I'm sure I'm not the only one who has experienced this. I'm interacting with someone I care about, and then they do that thing. They give me that look or that tone of voice, and suddenly I react like Perry. And my reaction isn't loving, and it isn't even effective It's a habitual reaction, really an addiction that was developed over time as a way to protect myself. It's a coping mechanism. And yes, I am grateful to God for my coping mechanisms. They got me here, but I'm finding that they can stand in the way and keep me in bondage. So what's the remedy for this? inner work. As I found opportunities for inner work and began to engage inner work, I've come to realize that there isn't one thing, not one thing that I can see out there in the world, in my family, my job, in my coworkers, in my friends, in Austin, in Texas, my country, or any other country, in the environment, in the news, in police, in politics, in government, in healthcare, in corporations, education, on the highway, in Facebook or Twitter, in any customer service representative, in any world leader, in any religious leader, in any problem anyone else seems to be having. Not one thing out there that doesn't correspond to something in me. Someone once said, have you ever noticed that whenever you have a problem, you are there? All my reactions to whatever shows up out there are showing me parts of my unconscious. One of my teachers used to say, you would want to know, wouldn't you? So along with centering prayer, my inner work is the most important thing I can do. And if I wish to be of use in the world, it's imperative. I'm not saying we can't be of service, be activists, volunteer, give money, march, vote, write letters. Yes, we should follow our guidance and do all of that. But if we're not working on our own violence, our own judgments, our own grasping, it's like pulling trash out of the river with one hand and throwing it back in the river with the other. So getting in touch with that place within us 
where God is patiently waiting, not only helps us begin to understand God's great love for us, it also gives us more ready access to God's God qualities so that instead of our usual reactions and defenses and projections onto others and the world, we gain the ability to make new, fresh choices. When stressful events arise, we're not confined to our old reactions, defense mechanisms, and addictive patterns that separate us from God, others, the world, and our true selves. Jesus was very clear. He said, don't call me good. All goodness comes from God. He was telling us how this works. As we actively receive God's goodness and love, we begin to be able to respond to our lives in the world in a new way. We become a new human, able to transmit Godness into our lives, God's goodness, wisdom, compassion, patience, forgiveness, creativity, and every other divine attribute you can think of can flow through us out into our lives, our relationships, and the world. So here's where I get to show you my little prop. Here is the body of Christ, and each one of these facets is one of us. It's like the lens of a movie projector. The divine is shining, shining, shining from the center outward. But our lenses are covered up with our own stuff. So we see the world, the movie, through this cloudy lens. We think it's a really dismal movie. We see the world through a glass darkly. And what we fail to realize is that we are actually creating this world of our own dark perceptions. Our perceptions, good, bad, and ugly, create our world. Inner work helps us to be able to clean our lenses of perception. If we clean the lens of the projector, not only do we see ourselves as we really are, but we see the truth of others as God sees them. We're set free, and everyone that true light shines upon is set free. And this is how the world is redeemed. God's perfect world, which is already good and beautiful and evolving as it is, can be projected through us into manifestation. There is no need to fight the old paradigm. When we engage the contemplative life, we learn that fighting the old paradigm is still the old paradigm. Buckminster Fuller said, to change something, build a new model that makes the existing model obsolete. So here are some of the many spiritual technologies that have arisen on the planet for inner work. The work, 
as brought to the West by G.I. Gurdjieff, P.D. Espensky, and Dr. Maurice Nichol, and many others. It's also called Esoteric Christianity and the Work of Inner Christianity. The, the big three tools we learn in the work to utilize are self-observation, non-critical self-observation. What does it mechanically do? Non-identification, realizing, oh, that is not I. Self-remembering, remembering my truest, highest identity as Christ. So just FYI, Anavu Wallace has begun a work group that meets on Sunday nights at 7 via Zoom. And if you're interested, please see Anna or me for information. The Byron Katie work that David talked about last week. This is a method of self-inquiry that we can do when we're experiencing stressful thoughts. We meditate on and wonder about four questions. Is that true? Can I absolutely know that it's true? What happens? How do I react when I believe that thought? And who would I be without that thought? One of the places that I've been working with for the last few years is Awareness Studios in Atlanta, Georgia. They do inner work that focuses on clearing self-defeating patterns and false identities of early life and inherited family and ancestral trauma. This work heals and transforms us, our family members, our ancestors, and our descendants. Enneagram studies. I know Vox is familiar with this tool. Christopher gave an awesome workshop on it recently. Like all inner work, studying the Enneagram helps us to see our habitual ways of being so that we can make a new choice. It also engenders compassion for ourselves and others. It says, each of us habitually operates out of one of a set of nine responses to life that we fault to. And as we are, we are limited, and we use this one tool for everything, like using a hammer to screw in a screw. Our type is not really who we are. It's just the mask that we've learned to wear. So non-critically observing what it does allows us to, again, non-identify with the pattern and frees us up to expand into unlimited possibilities. And there are many more technologies to help clear out our bodies, minds, and emotions. I don't know if uh, he was the first one to say it, but I heard Father Carl Arico say, the issues are in the tissues, and the issues are in the energetic fields that we carry with us. So body work, massage, chiropractic, yoga, energy work such as EFT, tappings, Somatic experiencing, Reiki, acupuncture, all of those are very useful, and many more. And as we become more and more aware and solid in our partnership with God, we learn that when a need arises in our lives, we can non-identify with our old pattern of just white-knuckling it and muscling our way through it alone, which never really works, we ask, we seek, we knock, 
And then we listen, and we will receive the guidance, the teachers, the modalities we need in this moment. We're given everything we need. We were born for this. And as we embrace and engage the contemplative dimension and practices, we open ourselves to the love, wisdom, and wholeness of God that evolves and transforms us individually and collectively. The realm of heaven is truly within us. We just need to open the door and walk through. So I'd like to close with thoughts from Elia Delio, who is a Franciscan sister and scientist who lectures internationally on the topics of evolution of human consciousness, the intersection of science and religion, quantum physics, and neuroscience. Sister Delio basically says that to the extent that we become, like Jesus, more unified in earthly life through the power of the Spirit, we too will share in the divine power of the resurrected life which empowers us to become artisans of a new future. So we'll just give Sister Elia the last word. This is from her book, Making All Things New. God is the power of unconditional love, the transcendent one who dwells in and authenticates our darkness. Transcendence does not loom over us. Rather, we are its privileged bearer. Thus, we are to think so as to unify and love with a grateful heart. To live this way is to be conscious that each life breath that I call my own belongs to the stars, the galaxies, my neighbors and family, my enemies, past generations and those to come. I am part of a whole like you, and the whole is more than any of us can grasp because the absolute wholeness of life is love itself, God, the power of the future. We need to let go of trying to control life and wildly fling ourselves into the arms of divine love. This is the only real way into the future of life. We have the power to create a new world, and we have the power to destroy this one. How we choose depends on how we grasp this moment as the kiss of God, impelling us to stand up and speak. And may it be so for all of us. Amen.